Welcome to Sermons of Grace with Pastor David Murphy of the Grace Baptist Church in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. Last week in our study of the Book of Romans, Pastor Murphy showed us that one of the believer's responsibilities in sanctification is not to allow sin to reign in their life. Today we'll see the second responsibility, that the believer must yield himself to God. I would like you to turn with me, please, um, to the book of um, Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Our text is going to be verse number 13. But let's read from verse number 1 uh, to verse 13. It's just a short passage. Uh, and uh, let's see where we can get this morning. I, but uh, you follow with me, please, from Romans chapter 6. I'm reading from verse number 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also may walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also uh, in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, and henceforth we should not serve sin. You notice the word destroyed there, it really means to disabled. Okay, it doesn't mean obliterate, disable the power of sin in our lives. That's what he's talking about there. Okay, verse 7 For he that is dead is free from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For if he, for in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies, that ye should obey in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For we, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for we are not under the law, but under grace. Now, there's a second responsibility that we have, and I want to deal with that. And that is given to us in verse number 13. 
Go back to Romans chapter 6 and look at verse number 13. Paul says, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourself unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Here is the second imperative that Paul gives to this church. It's the same word that he uses, and it really means this. When he says, don't yield your, your instruments of your body unto sin for unrighteousness, the word there that is used for yield is the word present, to offer, to proffer, uh, to put at one's disposal. That's what Paul is saying. So he's calling to believers to understand their responsibility to stop putting the members of their body at the disposal of sin. That's what he's saying. You're responsible for that. As a believer. What Paul is, is, is saying here that your body parts are the very agents or instruments that sin use to commit unrighteous acts. And he's saying to the believer, you need to see that. So what happens? You need to stop allowing your body parts to be used by sin to commit unrighteous acts. You see the word instrument? In the Greek language, the word hopla. In Greek culture, the word hopla is the weapon of a soldier. And what the Apostle Paul is saying is this. We're in a great battle. A great spiritual moral battle. And you know what? Your body is going to take your body parts and allow them to be used as a weapon against God's righteousness. And Paul is saying, you do the very opposite. Use your body parts, present them to God so that God can use your body parts for righteousness sake. But here's it. The choice is yours. That's what he says in this particular fact. The choice is yours. That goes back again to what we quoted at the beginning in 1 Peter chapter 2. I write unto you, dearly beloved, that you abstain from fleshly lust that war against what? The soul. Now Paul is saying, uh, using the word weapon in this passage, conveying the same idea that Peter has. We're in a war, a moral war, a spiritual war. And sin needs tools in this war. And the tools that sin will use is your body parts. Let's, let's talk about that a moment for just a... Uh, let us put it in a more uh, concrete form for just a moment. Let's particularize what Paul is saying in this passage. And by the way, could I say this? Here is the biblical psychology of human behavior to explain why man does what he does. It's the most insightful, profound presentation of the psychology of human behavior that you'll find anywhere. But here, particularly in Scripture, here it is. You have a body. And this body is a sinful nature. This sinful nature expresses itself through your body parts. 
And that's why people do wrong. So why is a thief a thief? Well, think for that for just a moment. It's the environment. He steals because of the environment he was brought up in. Well, if it's not that, it's poverty. He stole because he's poor. But I know many poor people who don't steal. So that falls flat on the... Well, you know what? It's his pigmentation. He happens to be Asian. And Asians steal a lot. Well, you know what? It's not that. It's his socialization. He, he didn't have the right kind of a family, so therefore he steals. You know what? It's a chemical imbalance in his ma- mind. You know. you know what? It's not that. It's his genetic predisposition. He was born inclined to steal. You see the stupidity of these kind of arguments? The biblical psychology of human behavior and why men do what they do is let us understand how it works. It comes from within. Oh, you know what? This is uh, pre-birth traumas. Do you know people pay tons of dollars today to go into a psychiatrist's office for him to uh, hypnotize you so he could go back into the womb? Now, what in the world you know happened in the womb? I'm serious. But you'll be surprised because they're told that you, something is wrong with you. But what happened with you? That something happened in your pre, uh, prenatal birth. Some trauma happened to you. You need to find out what it happened. See? Waste of good money. See? Waste of good money. See? But you know, a whole system of psychology is built on that. People who specialize in that. Hypnotism and going back to prenatal... And by the way, a lot of what they tell when they put hypnotizing, you're telling them, is movies you saw, is things you had. <laughs> so they're just repeatedly regurgitating these kind of things. See? If it is not prenatal trauma, it is postnatal trauma. Something that happened to you that just made you do what you do. Or you know what? It's lack of education. You just don't have the, the brains to know to do better. And if it's not that, it is economic inequality. So let's have socialism and give everybody a fixed income so that you don't have any more struggles. These are the, oh, you know what? It is religious absolutism. The problem is with orthodox churches who preach that they're absolute, that this is wrong. They should not teach it as wrong anymore. See, There's no such thing as wrong and right. You decide for yourself what is wrong or right. When you get away from the biblical teaching on the psychology of human behavior and why man what it does, you end up with all of this garbage that only, it doesn't solve the problem. All it does is to put plaster on all, the, all of this matter. And so what they do, you know what they do? Take, take America, for example. America spent over $3 trillion trying to deal with the whole question of poverty. And what it has done is made the situation worse, not better. I laugh when people talk about so many Americans below the poverty line. Go to, go to Africa and see what the poverty line is. Go to the go to, go to, uh, Philippines and see what the poverty line is. It is stupidity. See, It's not true. See? The politics is what destroys the moral fabric of a country by putting people against each other. It's all in the interest of politics. It's about time the blinders come off of your eyes to understand what is happening, etc. I, I want to defend America with one thing. America is not a racist country. 
There are pockets of racism, but it's not a racist country. If it were a racist country, not everybody would want to get to America. America lets in one million people from all over the world every year. Every year, one million people every year. Why do they want to come if it's, a ra- it's not a racist country? It has pockets of racism. See? But it's not a- I lived there for four years. I worked in both black and white communities. I didn't see racism. But it's a narrative that is being, and it's a, a misrepresentation of what is happening. But that it pleases people because you blame everybody for something that is within you. People commit crime because it's within them. It's within the heart. People commit adultery because it's within the heart. They commit fornication because it's within the heart. They rob because it's within the heart. Not because of the environment. Not because of inequality. As I pointed out to you, it is the environment that brings out what is really there already. But it's there. That's how you understand human behavior. And unless you understand that is the psychology of human, you will never ever appreciate how to look at the world and how to judge the world, not from a political perspective, from a biblical perspective on these matters. Some of you may be a little bit upset that I said that, but it's worth saying because it's not true. It's absolutely not true. It's a narrative that is simply not true. I'm going to do a program on crime and punishment on, on, on Tuesday, I'm going to bring out the facts of what really is happening uh, in that place, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I didn't even notice. I mean, I, this, this is bog, I'm not talking about what the media says. I'm talking about the research that's been done. See, and you'll find out. You'll, you'll be, I'm, I'm so surprised. I understand why the crime is so common in America because less than 10 or 15 percent of people who are convicted ever go to prison. They give them probation. I didn't know that. I had no idea that was true. So the system is rigged. And that's why they keep people, and by the way, it's career criminals that keep doing these things again because they get on the streets, get on the streets, get on the streets. They don't deal with the problem. See? The facts are so raw and so real that when you really study the facts and look at the facts, you begin to understand, this is crazy. This is totally crazy. Why would you do that? As a matter of fact, I had a, a lady who just sent me an email. I'm, I'm trying to counsel her over the... Over the um, over the, the WhatsApp, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but here's the thing. She, she wrote me and uh, asked me the question, you know, what, what, uh, what do you do when there's so much crime in your country? There's so much crime in the country. The government knows who the criminals are, but they're paying the criminals not to commit the crime. She said, Pastor, can that be everybody right? She said, don't you think that the government should deal with these people and put them in prison? My answer to that question is Yes. But you see, you can't put them in prison because you can't blame them. Because they're not responsible for what they're doing. They were brought up in a poor environment with drugs. So they were forced into crime. You see where it leads? It leads to injustice. Because the crime that's committed, it's not the guy that the crime is committed now who is really looked after. It's the criminal that's looked after. And one of the things I'll show you about uh, biblical justice is this. Do you know that there's no room in the Bible for putting people in prison? I don't know if you know that. That shock you? When a man stole, you know what they did with him? They made him work to pay it off. Not put him in prison. And you know who they paid? They didn't pay the government. They paid the person who was the victim. See? There needs to be some changes if we're going to really try to help the situation. These are very serious changes. No, we're, talking, we're not talking violent criminals, okay? We're talking nonviolent criminals, okay? 
Uh, violent criminals in the Bible was dealt with very forthright. You kill a man, you were killed. So you didn't have any more violent criminals. <laughs> it's not like today a man can murder a man and in, in, in five years he's out. That's what happened in American courts, by the way. Even for murder, in the average age, you're out in three or five years if you murder a person. So what's the point? What's the point? You just go there and commit another crime, murder another man, see, for another three years. And, it's, and it gets, because when lawlessness begins to dominate a nation, it disintegrates. That's an aside, but I think it needed to be said because I think the mistake that people are making is to thinking that the, these are the issues that are causing people to do what they do. The biblical psychology of human behavior is rooted in the fact that the sinful nature creates desires in people to make them do wrong. The environment don't make you do wrong. As a matter of fact, some of the most honest people you'll ever meet is some of the poorest people you'll ever meet. I repeat that. Some of the most honest people ever meet are people who are some of the poorest people. See? Not because they're poor, they can steal and rob people and, and, and assault people. See? Something completely different. See? The problem is within. That's the issue. What I'm saying to you this morning, that what men are talking about are just the external factors. So they're, what they're doing, they're putting plaster on cancer. And they're pushing this at this and pushing that at that. And guess, and guess what? It's not getting improved. It's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. When are they going to come back to the point of belief? This is God's word. God is right all the time. We've made so many massive mistakes. Let's change it. Can you see any politician doing that? Politicians love two things, control and power. See, That's what they like. See? Controlling the lives of people and power over people. To relinquish that, to hold people responsible and understand that they're not God that could fix the problem. Only God can fix this problem is to diminish their power and diminish their control. And therefore, they're not in favor of a biblical worldview on these matters. Let's talk about this whole matter of the responsibility not to, in verse number 13, to yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Let me particularize that for just a moment. Let, let's think about your, your members of your body. Paul is saying, look, don't let the members of your body, the parts of your body be used by sin to commit unrighteous acts. Let's talk about that for just a moment. Well, let's talk about the eyes. The eyes is what we see, what we look at, and what we view. What a wonderful thing it is for us that we can use uh, our eyes to view the beauty of nature or the glory of God's word, or we can see and be attracted by the charm of an opposite sex. The, the beauty that God has painted in, in some of you, you just enjoy that. See? That's the right use of the eye. But what about if we take the same eye that we can see and we look at perversion, we look at pornography, we go into somebody's bedroom and we see the private thing they're doing and we enjoy it. Think of the perversion of this, the eyes. The eyes no longer used for righteousness where I look at the beauty of nature, I glorify God. I look into the glory of God's word. I look at a, 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 a female or I look at a male if you're, and say, you know, God made that person so attractive, so beautiful. Without any evil intent. But now I'm using my eyes to undress her. I'm using my eyes to go into my room or using my little cell phone in the corner. Or you go into the bathroom. And I've got this, and pornography. And think about that for just a moment. One leads to righteousness. The other one leads to unrighteousness. And the believer has got to make a choice. 
Don't yield your members, he says, as instruments of unrighteousness. Let's think for just a moment of your ears. What a great gift it is to have ears. What, what, to listen to God's word. Read. You ever heard Alexander Scrooby reading the Bible yet? You're almost mesmerized by the, the quality of his voice and the quality of his diction. You know, think about the fact of using your ears to listen to counsel from others. Listen to your ears to make sound judgments. You're put on the court to judge a case. But think of the perverted use of the ears now for gossip, to listen to vulgarity, to listen to syncopated music that has lyrics that are repulsive and perverted. That is what Paul is saying. One leads to righteousness use of the ears. The other one leads to unrighteousness. The choice has to be made. Let's think for just a moment of the hands. Think of the creative genius of man. And what he's been able to do with his hands. You ever look at some of these gothic churches. If you ever in Europe. Not, not, not the modern skyscrapers are just a concrete jungle. I'm talking about real artistic work that went into design. You marvel that any man could create something as such, with such awe and such beauty. See? The creative use of the hand. Think of the fact that it can be used to be constructive. Feeding the poor, helping somebody. Or you know what? It can offer comfort and help. But think of the abuse of the hand now to steal, to murder. To abuse. See? That's how, and by the way, the same way the enemy wants to use your body parts to commit sin, to do unrighteousness, the same way God wants you to put yourself at the disposal of him so that he can also use you for righteousness purpose. So it all boils down to you making a choice. See? Think of the feet for just a moment. Oh, think about that. Imagine the opportunity you have to minister to others by going and, and the opportunity to evangelize, to be in the house of God. But think of using the feet to crawl through a person's window at night to rape them on their gun or with a sword. Think of that. Think of using the feet to have some secret rendezvous where the plan is. I'll creep around to the back, you'll creep down, then you'll pick you in the car and we'll go off. See? Think, my dear friend. Of using the feet to go into the whorehouse. Or to see these naked women uh, undress. See? Think of that for just a moment. See? You see how the feet can be used for holy purposes. And for also unrighteous purposes. And that's why Paul said, yield them not to the sin for unrighteous. Let's think about the head for just a moment. Look, I am staggered at how brilliant man is. I'll be honest with you, I feel like a lily pushing sometimes when I see some of the things that these people write. and uh, uh, It's just amazing. You know, do you know that, I mean, they can put the entire Bible on a microchip, the tip of my finger. That doesn't amaze you? I mean, that staggers me. That staggers me. What intelligence, that, what brain that is. What creativity that is. The brain. Think about the imagination. 
I'm not a, a viewer of these new movies like Transformers and uh, they had one called Avent or something, the Avent. Uh, one that was pretty popular, again, it's new age stuff. But when you see the artistic work and how they get these things done, if you ever sit down and watch it, you know, you, you, you marvel how the world they get that done. You ever, you ever sat back and look at that and say, but man, it's incredible. I saw a guy from Holland one time took some sticks together without any motor, without any engine. He is so constructed his sticks that it has a creature that walks on legs like that. Just the wind blowing it. And I said to myself, man alive, that's genius. The creativity of the mind is there. The, 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 the capacity to think about, to reason, to imagine, to evaluate. But also think of using the mind to plan an evil purpose. Like David did. Send Bathsheba's husband to me. Send him. The wife is pregnant now. I got to get rid of this man somehow. So, my dear friend, you've been working in the battle for so long. You need a rest. Go home and sleep with your wife. He's hoping that the man would now go home and sleep with his wife. And then he would say, "Uh uh-huh, I got her pregnant then. But the man is so loyal to David. He said, how can the soldiers fight in the army and I go home to be warm with my wife? I remain right here at your door. And guess what? David got him drunk. To the point where he thought by getting him drunk and telling him, go home, man. When he wakes up, the man is still there. What do you do with a man like that? He's so loyal. So what are you going to do, David? Notice that this mind that wrote the Psalms, the great Psalms, you wonder the glory of the Psalms are so marvelous. But this same man uses his mind now and he comes up with a plot. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Joab, bring me a notepad. And this is what he writes on the notepad to his, his general. He says, put Bathsheba's husband in the front of the battle. Let him lead in the battle. And in the heat of the battle, I want all of you to withdraw so that he may be killed. But it's worse than that. Who is he going to send this letter by? Who can he trust to carry the letter and not read it? David folds the letter and gives the letter to the man, the very man, and says, take that to the general for me. You think, what kind of a devious mind can think that law? Here's a man out of loyalty. Takes the letter, delivered it to Joab. Joab reads it. The man doesn't have a clue. It's his death warrant. But it's the same man that wrote the Psalms. There's the same man that have a heart after God. But now what has happened? He's yielded to his lust. And lust always leads to unrighteousness. So the man is killed. And it is done so surreptitiously that had God not whispered in Nathan's ear, the prophet said, Nathan, go to David and tell him a little story. And let him know that man might not have seen and understood his reasoning. But his thoughts were not far from me. I know his thoughts from the very beginning. And tell David a little story. A rich man had many sheep. And a visitor came by. And instead of that rich man killing a sheep from out of his flock. He took the poor man's sheep. And slaughtered it and fed his friend. You know what David said? 
A man like that should die. Four times he should die. Then the prophet said, it is you I'm referring to. And by the way, David said he should die four times, four deaths in his family. See? You see what the mind can do? And when your lust control you and you get away from it, my dear friend, it leads you down a track and you do things you never thought. That's why Paul says, don't yield. What? Let's talk about something else. What about your mouth? You can use your mouth to declare scripture. You can use your mouth to comfort. You can use your mouth to give hope to people. But you can also use your mouth to deceive people like David did. To slander people. To malign people. And then I want to talk about another one that nobody likes to talk about. There's another part of your body called your sex organs. Okay. Your sexuality. It could either be used right or it could either be used wrong. You can use your sex organ to express love to the person you're married to. To bring children into this world legitimately. To create a family structure. Or else you can also use those sex organs for immorality and perversion and abuse. Have you surrendered your sexuality to God? Have you surrendered your sexuality to God? To be used in the right way rather than be abused through the lust of the flesh. Listen, as believers, we face two options. We can either choose to allow the sin nature with his desires to lead us into sin that leads to unrighteousness. Or, you know what? We can present our body members or parts to God, surrender them to God to be used for righteousness. It's a choice that you and I must make. If we go the way of the flesh, it fosters unrighteousness. If we go the way of God, it furthers righteousness. It is a matter of choice between us. No man can be neutral on these matters. You have to decide what you will do with your will. We must choose. As a matter of fact, I want to point out something to you that uh, you would not pick it up by just reading the King James Version or any other version, English version for that matter. And here, here's, the, here's, the, here's the difference between what Paul says Look at verse number 13. He says, stop yielding your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. But notice the next part he said, but yield what? Yield what? Your, here is the difference between what Paul is saying. See? Members. Now he says yourselves. What Paul is saying here, surrender yourself to God. And when you surrender yourself, you surrender all your parts. But there's something that's even more marvelous in this passage. In verse number 12, in the beginning of verse number 2, Paul uses the present aorist tense. But in the latter part of this verse, in verse number 13, he uses the aorist tense. Pastor Murphy, are you trying to be pedantic? Are you trying to be difficult because you have a penchant for details on these matters? 
No, I think it's important to understand the difference between the two. Because when Paul says in verse number 13, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead. The apostle Paul is calling for a decisive once for all time decision. It's not a continuous decision, no. He's asking you to surrender yourself to God once and for all time. You know in the Old Testament, when a man put, him, put the, the, uh, the, the animal on the altar, what, what, what happened to the, the animal on the altar? It was totally consumed on the altar. It was a, a complete presentation. He didn't say, well, I, I thought about it. Give me back the half-baked animal now. No. When he surrendered, it was a complete surrender. And what Paul is saying in this passage is, make up in your mind to once and for all completely surrender your life to God. He doesn't want a piecemeal thing. Well, I give God my hand today, but you know, next week I'm going to decide to give him a foot. Let me give you the precise, exact translation of how this should be worded. And listen to it here. Put yourself at once and once for all at the disposal of God as those who are actively alive out from among those who are dead and your members as weapons of righteousness at the disposal of God. That's what the Aristan says. So what Paul is calling here is for a decisive, permanent surrender of ourselves to God so that God can use our members for his purpose. I will tell you something about you and, and, and your forms. It's the area of our lives that we have not surrendered we have the biggest problem with. I repeat. It's the area of our lives that we have, we haven't surrendered to God that we have problems with. You think about that for just a moment. Think of the areas you're struggling with in your life right now. And see if that's not true. You need to surrender that area of your life. And that's what Paul is calling for here in this passage. So it, it, maybe you need to surrender your eyes, your mouth, your feet, your mind, your ears, your sexuality. But the truth of the matter is, there has to be a complete and decisive once-for-all surrender to God. Now, I, I'm going to stop here this morning. But I want to ask you a question, a very sobering question this morning. Have you ever made that decisive once-for-all surrender of your life to God? Now, we come to that in Romans chapter 12. I beseech you, therefore, brother, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. We come into that. But the Apostle Paul is letting us know the only way we can deal with the problem of our members and our body not being used for the flesh is actually surrender them to God. Surrender our whole selves to him. That's the answer. So what are you struggling with now? No. Well, pastor, I gossip. I just have a tendency to gossip. I like to listen to nasty stories, pastor. I get a thrill out of hearing that. You know, Pastor, I, 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 my mouth is my problem. I just, I'm a lick mouth loo. I, I just gossip. I just enjoy gossip, you know. Pastor, I find that, man, I, I, my hands, I can't believe what I do with my hands. My feet, Pastor, it takes me places. I have no control of my sexuality. Can I tell you what your problem is? 
Simple. You have not surrendered yourself to God. Surrender is what is needed in your life. And it's a matter of choice. You have to choose to do it. Look, I, 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 I mentioned at the beginning in, in, the, in, the, in part of the introduction, God has set your will free from the bondage to sin. You don't have to sin. I don't have to sin if I'm a Christian. We choose to sin. And we know it. We know it because when we do it afterwards, we say, "What? Well, you know, I didn't have to do this. I didn't have to do it. And I'm saying to you this morning, what Paul is asking the believer who has experienced the power of God in his life that is so transforming that he's no longer under the domination and control of sin. Paul is saying, all right, this has happened to you now. Now here are the repercussions of this. Reckon it to be so. Understand quite frankly that even though the sin power is broken in your life, the ongoing battle with sin was still there. But here's what you need to do. You have a responsibility now here to not let sin reign in your life, but also to yield, yield your body and your parts to God. Simple. And if believers only do that and take that seriously, we'll have a transformative church. But the problem is, God, I don't mind giving you this, but I, I, I don't think I can surrender this. It's like, you know, you have a house that has many different doors. And you say to this, this, this is a key for this bedroom, there's a key for this, 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 but you know, it's a little closet in here. This is my own little private world. I, I can't give the key to that. That's, that's the problem right there, the little closet. And the reason why you don't surrender because you know that's the problem. And that's why there's so little victory among believers. I've said the problem is not in our stars, the problem is in ourselves. And the answer is that every born-again, blood-washed believer has a responsibility, a responsibility to yield to God. Wouldn't it be, you know, Pastor, why doesn't God make me do it? You want to be robotic now? Or you want to be able to make your choice? There's not a woman in here, or not a man in here, if... Uh, you, you know, somebody make you love me, love me, love me. You gotta love me, you gotta, you gotta love me, you gotta love me, love me. Everybody knows that wouldn't work. It worked for a while, but it's not gonna work, okay? So let's, as our people, as our, uh, the Bible is teaching, let us understand that we have a responsibility. We are not helpless, impotent people. We are people who have been empowered by God. He's done a work in our lives. Or has he? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. Thank you for the patience of those who sat and listened. We trust in some measure we've been able to take your word and um, take it and present it in its forms so that people can fully grasp what your word is teaching. This is not human knowledge. This is not human wisdom. This is just discovering what your word teaches and just sharing with your people. So help people to glory in God and glory in the fact that God has revealed this truth. Let all glory go to him. Help us to understand that God has done his part. He has really, really done his part. And this is, we have left us to do our part. 
This is where failure comes in, Lord. I pray this morning that those who have listened this morning, who believe this truth, accept this truth mentally, rationally, and who uh, intellectually embrace it, would go even beyond that this morning and understand the need not only to just assent to this truth and, and endorse it, but also claim it and apply it and believe it and make it a part of their lives. May we reckon these things to be so. May we understand the biblical teaching and respect to this whole matter of sanctification, that king sin has been dethroned, but our fight with the sin nature is an ongoing battle. But also, Lord, our responsibility. What a responsibility you've given to us. Thank you for honoring the dignity of choice and not robbing us of our humanhood but recognizing us as people of creatures who can make choices and decisions. And God, I ask you this morning to even go beyond that. May your Holy Spirit so convict those who listen to your word this morning. And as your spirit would lead, and as the conviction of your word seeps into the soul, may the appropriate response be made to your word this morning. Help us not to be hearers of the word and not doers only. Help us not to come into this church and forgot what man of man we were when we look into the glass of your word this morning and discovered to our dismay uh, our sins. And now because of our delusion, we leave here as we came in. For that one who hasn't surrendered and who knows they haven't surrendered, who is struggling in that year of life. May they turn the keys over to you. May they surrender to you that ear of their lives. We don't need to be privy to what it is, but some transactions might need to be done between that individual and you this morning. May we not hasten away to our homes because of the carnal food. May we rather be broken before you this morning in those areas to which you have brought to our attention and call us to repentance and renewal and surrender. We commit this service as we come to close into your hand this morning. And we pray that your will be done in the lives of those who heard the word and the appropriate response be made as you would prompt and move. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Be sure you join us again next time here on Sermons of Grace as Pastor Murphy shows us two triumphs of grace in the believer's life. If you'd like to contact Pastor David Murphy or Grace Baptist Church, please call 268-462-4230 or visit during one of their service times. Sunday school is at 9 a.m., Sunday morning at 10 a.m., Sunday evening at 7 p.m., or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Grace Baptist Church is located on Rowan Henry Street in Gambles Terrace, Antigua.